0: Well, sean fantastic to have you on the podcast now we've been talking about this for a long time because uh, i placed you in your role What it must be a good 12 months ago now
1: oh, i think 18 richard oh,
0: oh that's excellent and so uh it's always interesting to chat to people you know at that sort of junction you know uh really sort of moving into a new role and getting a handle on the business and starting to get excited about the opportunities and so on i've had mark denning the uh the Managing Director of Fallon on the podcast previously, but uh, great to have you on now. So, Sean, just to begin with, um, why don't you share with our audience um, your current professional responsibilities?
1: Yeah, um, Richard, so I'm the COO at Fallon Solutions, which is a uh, a category leader in the trade services industry. Uh, We perform uh, trade services across the field for, Um, the people of Brisbane and the Gold Coast area. Our services are very broad. They um, extend to electrical, plumbing, drains, appliances, air conditioning, solar, security, data, carpentry. There's a lot we do. Um, In common, though, they're responsive uh, trade services to people with maintenance needs um, or with some home improvement needs. That's that's where we play. Uh, My role in all of that is somewhat end-to-end, where um, a lot of my time is spent considering the technology and the systems and the innovation of how we might play in this industry in in new and exciting ways. So there's a strong tech and data element to what I do. Um, Right through to, uh, I guess, the hiring and the training and the development of the individuals in our business. It's um, obviously trade services, a very people-led business, and so I do spend a lot of time at the operational people side um, right through to the other end of the spectrum, through the technology and data side. And then probably um, I play sort of everywhere in between as well, whether it's marketing, finance, um, whether it's, as, as I've mentioned, training, uh, pricing, um, customer uh, service and complaints resolution, the whole gamut of uh, operating the business.
0: Fantastic. And, Sean, when you say felon or a category leader, um, so how, how would you measure that?
1: Oh, well, um, I think it's our customers that would have to measure that um, for us. We, uh, we enjoy um, a lot of repeat business, uh, which is pretty good evidence that we're doing something that our competitors can't offer. Um, we see about 70% of the business we do are customers that we've worked with before. Um, We've grown very fast. Um, we uh, over recent years have consistently grown at between ten and twenty percent. Uh, we have um, very strong feedback channels that come to us through our uh, our reviews online and customers that call us in and talk about the quality of what we've done. Um, we. Are uh, very present in all forms of uh, market communications. We invest a lot in our market positioning, whether that be offline TVCs, online, um, and we're we're quite scaled up. Richard, um, for a trade services business, um, we are close to two hundred people. Um, we've put actually about seventy people on since the outbreak of COVID. So I think um, when I when I look at customers' responses to us, our our raw growth, and just the general presence that we invest in as a business, uh, I think it um, is consistent with us being the leader of the category.
0: Mm-hmm. It's really interesting, Short. Um, to, I literally just got off uh, doing another podcast with another one of my clients, uh, who's the uh, Australian Managing Director of a uh, business that makes medical devices used in um uh, essentially, non-invasive cosmetic surgery, and uh, their business during COVID has absolutely gone through the roof because of all these, you know, people uh, uh, who would normally spend their money on overseas holidays and now saying, "Well, I've got some cash, uh, and uh, I'm looking at myself on Zoom every day and realising, hmm, perhaps uh, I need a bit of a tie-up." So his business has done really well. Your business has done very well because of people, you know, in COVID. Look, being in their home all the time and finding things that need to be done. And my business uh, from a recurring point of view is absolutely done superbly as well. So it's fantastic in what is an ocean of negativity and bad news uh, to actually talk to uh, uh, some people who have uh, been able to um, uh, do very well out of this situation. So, Short, um, uh, I'd love to come back and talk uh, some more about uh, – Obviously, Fallon and your role in Fallon and, and what's happening there. But let's um, it's been an interesting career journey for you, and uh, and certainly I'd I'd love to go back to you know where it all began and tell us a little bit about you know where you were born, mum, dad, brothers and sisters, and then we'll just have a a chat about your life. Over to you. Yeah, great.
1: Um, <laughs> well, it's it's been a meandering career journey. Uh, one of my mentors, um, Robbie Cook. He's the um, he's currently the managing director of tyro payments and I worked with him at whatifcom uh, where he was the uh, managing director and I was actually the uh, general counsel and head of corporate development at whatifcom uh, he and I share quite a lot in common and he describes his career as meandering which is a word <laughs> that I think probably applies to me as well um, I'm from Brisbane Richard Uh I um, have spent most of my life here in Brisbane. Uh, My parents are essentially educators. Um, My father is a uh, mechanical engineer um, that led uh, in his career the um, engineering department at the University of Queensland.
0: Okay.
1: uh, And did um, some really interesting work uh, working for NASA as well. He's a um, he is a preeminent space engineer and was involved heavily in NASA at around that period um, when the space shuttle program was um, surging Mum's mm-hmm. um, a guidance officer who um, spent a lot of time in her career helping children with learning difficulties so I think um, probably unconsciously education and study was always a, um, I guess a value um, in my family and we never probably discussed that, but it, it's probably implied when you're the child of two educators that you value education. Mm-hmm. So so in my case, um, I've done quite a lot of, uh, at different points in my life, education. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: when was we, when we your dad uh, running the engineering department at the uh, UQ? Yeah, well, it, it started after uh, 1988. In
1: 1988, he was um, on the ground in the US working at NASA when the Challenger blew up. uh uh-huh. um, His specialty was on the wing vibration, not the O-rings, which is what caused the disaster. Right. Um, But that disaster ended all of the research and development jobs and they became kind of a bit of an audit, inward-looking kind of um, organisation. So Mm. he shifted out of industry and went back into academia. And Mm. so in that sort of period of, of the 90s and the first decade of the 2000s, he was running engineering at UQ.
0: Right. Well, he he may have known my dad because my dad was running the pharmacy department at UQ for twenty years, uh, from eighty one until uh, two thousand. And my mum's a clinical nurse educator too. So I come from two educators as well. I knew we had a lot of com- a lot in common, Sean. So uh, yeah. So um, how many brothers and sisters did you have?
1: That explains why your body is a temple of health, Richard.
0: <laughs> exactly. Sean, you uh, you know me too well. Uh, as I say, it might be a temple, but I treat it like a, uh, a uh, rock concert stadium. Um, all right. So uh, brothers and sisters?
1: Yeah, I, I have one older brother. Um, I lost him when he was 35 years old. He's uh, 18 months older than me.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, uh, it was a real turning point. Um, for my family and for myself, uh, I was living actually at the time in uh, in the UK. I was working at Amazon.com, mm-hmm. and uh, so I was working at Amazon.com doing business development work in a really incredibly exciting time in their growth throughout Europe. And uh, my wife is a property lawyer; she was working in London as a as a real estate lawyer. Uh, we were, I guess. Um, early to mid thirties, no children, um, having, you know, an incredible time in our careers and just incredible fun, Mm -hmm. uh, in Europe. And, uh, I do remember I was in Cornwall where I got the phone call from, um, mum and dad, uh, when we lost my brother. And, uh, that kind of led to us coming back home. Uh, and, and that's that's about fifteen years ago now, but we've we've been home um, since then, and have since had three kids, and and Brisbane's our our taproot again now.
0: Right, yeah, well, uh, it is. Um it is the circumstances, often outside of our control, that dictate where our lives go. What's that saying? Um, God, God laughs at the plans of mere man. Uh, you know, we we have these grand visions about what we'll, our careers will look like and our businesses will look like, and then something just you know happens to change the course completely. So, when you were at um, uh, when you were in high school, uh, you know, what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up?
1: Oh, look, um, my parents say I was interested in, uh, in politics and, and political leadership. I, I, don't, I don't remember that as distinctly as they seem to. Um, Richard, I, I was more uh, oriented towards English and economics and um, uh, modern history. These were the areas I found most interesting at high school. So it's probably somewhat naturally I went into a law degree because mm-hmm. um, those, those were the areas um, that, that, that kind of came most easily to me. Uh, I didn't inherit my father's acumen for maths and physics and chemistry. Um, it's, I'm a bit more um, into the uh, soft skills than some of those harder technical skills. So the, the law degree was a natural fit um, coming out of high school.
0: Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and so uh, looking at your LinkedIn profile, so a period of time with Clayton Utes. Yeah, And then that led to going over to the UK and, as you say, working uh, for Amazon in the UK for four years from 2004 to
1: 2008.
0: Yeah. Right. So that must have been an amazing experience um, uh, because, you know, where Amazon is, I mean, I I read all my books on Kindles now and uh, my daughter buys her toys on Amazon and so on. But back then, you know, it was still pretty embryonic, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it, it was. And um, so when I, uh, m- my other, I guess, interest coming out of high school through university, it's, it's connected to the question you've asked, was managing rock bands. And in, in managing rock bands, I um, became very familiar with um, the music industry business model, and that was a time where we still had record companies and, you know, we didn't have iTunes, we didn't even have streaming services. So people were buying music on CDs uh, and it was a very different um, industrial model. And at the time it was an industry that was really led by uh, copyright experts. So my particular, my, my original area of specialisation is in copyright law. mm mm-hmm. And and what happened when the internet went pop in about 1999, uh, year 2000 uh, kind of era? um, You might remember that era. We were starting to first experience Google, Mm -hmm. Um, and around that era, there was a an industry was born of internet businesses. But there was no one who had any historical experience running internet businesses. So what happened was the gap was filled by intellectual property lawyers. Mm -hmm. And so people like myself that were really interested in the copyright industries, whether it was music or film and television, uh, um, books, radio, any of these sorts of industries, moved across to the internet. And that that explained uh, probably why at that time I was able to make a natural fit into amazon.com mm-hmm.
0: which,
1: which of course was an e-commerce business but was looking for people that had uh a sort of an adjacent skill set which is what I had.
0: Mm-hmm. And so um Four years there, then back to Australia, uh, remaining obviously with some involvement um, in the music industry on the board of Q Music, uh, which uh, for us in Queensland is obviously you know quite an institution for the music industry, and and um, and almost immediately it seems slipped straight into um, your role with What If.
1: Yeah, it wasn't quite as immediate as it as it might have felt. So when I was um realizing it was time to leave london and come home to my family I, I the problem i faced was i was i was walking out of the best job I, i'd ever had you know working at amazon.com in business development was an incredible experience mm. and so to walk walk away from it was a bit haunting actually so i sort of did a bit of a survey of what i could do back in brisbane that i thought i could i could kind of keep going with where where could i keep pushing on and this was 2004 Richard. And when I looked at Brisbane in 2004, it's a while ago now, um, probably the companies that stood out at that time were uh, Billabong. Billabong mm-hmm. was really going well at that point. Uh, Flight Centre, mm-hmm. um, uh, Suncorp, and, uh, and WhatIf.com, this sort of darling of a recent IPO and rapid hyper growth and doing really exciting things in the you know, disruptive tourism space. Mm -hmm. So those were the four companies that I sort of reached out to proactively and um, and I sort of was in a a bit of an email and phone, I guess, get to know you process that went for several months and it led on one day actually to two phone calls um, on the same day after about maybe four months of trying to. Crack in with these businesses, and I got a phone call from both Billabong and WhatIf.com, And on the same day, they offered me a job.
0: Sorry, uh, just uh, were you still in the UK at this stage, or you were back by now?
1: Oh, yeah. At this stage, I'd been back by about a month. Okay. Yes, yeah. So, yeah. so 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 I started that um, that process when I was still there, and then I, I came home and 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 I got the phone call when I was you know back in Brisbane, and um, and I chose WhatIf over mm-hmm. Billabong. And, uh, you know, very glad I did um, because I, I worked with some um, fabulous leaders, a, a, a terrific board. Uh, you know, we had the excitement of being founder-led and, um, you know, with, with a founder-led business comes some real authenticity around purpose and, and passion And, um, you know, the excitement of being on the stock market and really fast growth and then a wave of very high caliber professional management took over the business and I I joined that group and, and we had a really great run until, um, about four or five years after uh, I joined, um, we, um, we were acquired by Expedia, the global travel giant Mm -hmm. and, um, and again, sadly, that was the end of the road for what was an incredible run.
0: Mm-hmm. I remember uh, that period very well, uh, having had some involvement both pre and post Expedia uh, with What And uh, and you had a, a sort of a bit of a hybrid role there, didn't you? In that you were um, wearing a number of hats. You know, tell us a bit about that.
1: Yeah, so the, the role I was hired to do was general counsel and company secretary. So. Uh, being publicly listed, there was a lot of corporate governance, and there was a lot of, um, I guess, what you might call compliance. And there was also being an e-commerce company, a lot of partnering. E-commerce companies are very outward looking in the deals they do. There's a lot of joint ventures. There's a lot of partnering. There's a lot of licensing. There's, there's a lot of inbound rights. There's there's a very strong place in e-commerce businesses for contracts and for negotiators. So. Those were kind of the two hats originally I wore, the, the, legal, the legal, I guess, deal maker and then the corporate compliance officer. And that evolved to a corporate development role where it became more strategic, where I was involved in assessing M&A opportunities, um, looking for where, uh, I guess, the bigger value creation for the, for the company and its strategy could come from. And uh, and that that corporate development role ultimately led to me helping take the company to the market and um, and achieved a, well, I think I think we ended up selling whatif.com. I think it was at the time. it's uh, all oh, it's it's getting close to ten years ago now. I think Expedia bought it for about two hundred eighty million dollars. Mm-hmm. So that was a that was a good outcome for mm-hmm. founders that had taken it from startup through the listing through to an ultimate exit.
0: Mm-hmm. A- a- absolutely a fantastic uh, outcome. And and then you decided that you would go and uh, uh, do it yourself for a while, um, launching your own uh, uh, tech business, Equifax.
1: No, well, the tech business I launched was called ZipID and um, e- Equifax uh, ended up buying our, That's our, right. our business. I yeah. remember
0: now. Yep, okay. So ZipID, I think was, you know, through an idea that was in some degree spawned by your wife, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, that's right. Um, That's right. So in, um, look, on the internet, one of the great problems is proving who people are. Mm -hmm. It's just a difficult problem on the internet. And as I mentioned earlier, my wife's a real estate lawyer and in um, real estate, um, pretty high volume stuff that she does, buying and selling properties, um, dealing with mortgages, release of mortgages, that whole property conveyancing um, piece. One of the challenges with that piece is proving that the person that you're buying or selling land for is who they say they are. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if you get involved in a fraudulent land transaction, it's very expensive and difficult to unpick. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she had a problem. She was growing and using a lot of digital marketing to acquire clients from all around the place. Um, But the law said that her industry had a duty to identify clients And if they didn't identify their client, then the law firm was responsible for the fraud. So it it was a genuine keep-you-up-at-night problem for her. I remember we were living in Orkinflower at the time and she sat upright in bed at about 3am and said, um, our business model is stuffed, Sean, as a result of this legal requirement. And uh, that that, uh, moment coincided with me being in the final stages of helping sell whatif.com to Expedia. So I was in that uneasy state where you know that that's your last dance. When you sell a company, you're not, you're not around for very long after that. They, they, they find a way of making you redundant and moving on with their own talent. It's just the natural way of things. Mm-hmm. So she had a problem and I had a career problem and it led to, um, I guess, Richard necessity being the mother of invention and I said to her, look, um, I want to help solve your problem. And I, I had a I had a strong network through whatif.com of some amazing software developers. You know, some of Australia's best developers were actually inside whatif.com. So I, I said to my wife, if, if I can bring together a software solution to identify uh, your clients and if we can scale it up, I think I can solve your business's problem, but I think I can also create a business of our own
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, that we could, we could do this nationally. So ZipID became a national identity verification business and our clients were banks, uh, law firms, mortgage brokers, and conveyances. And, and, and that's what we did. That was our startup. And it was me, my wife, uh, two software developers from whatif.com, and a friend of mine who is a marketing expert. mm
0: mm-hmm. And it, uh, and then at some point, it, Equifax obviously started to pay attention, and it eventually acquired you.
1: Yeah, it happened really quickly. Um, we had been trading. Um, I mean, it takes a while to to start a startup. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, they don't they don't go to market overnight. There's a lot of preparatory work that has to be done. So that preparatory work, uh, maybe it took a year, maybe maybe a bit longer than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we went to market, we launched in South Australia because there was a particular set of events that gave us a wedge into the market in South Australia. And then we got noticed really quickly. So the um, the company got bidded for by um, several uh, kind of fraud and credit bureaus. At the time, they were called um, uh, Vita and Experian. I think Dunn and Bradstreet were there as well. And um, we decided to do a deal with Vita and they bought the business, kept us on a three-year retainer before we could take our, our money off the table. Um, that, that required the team to stay intact and for us to continue to grow the business. And um, and we did that. And then during that period, Vita themselves were bought by the global leader in credit origination, which is um, – um, Equifax. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how that story played out. And I guess from inception on our on our back deck at home where we brought the team together through to eventually handing the car keys over to the business, uh, probably in the end was a close to five-year
0: story. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then you and I met, and uh, I don't want to spend too much time talking about this. But I, I, uh, Sean, I talk about you a lot when I'm coaching uh, senior executives about their job search. So, I uh, was retained by Fallon Solutions to recruit a chief operating officer, and when I met with uh, Mark. Uh, you know it was absolutely categorical this person must 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 come from a trades background uh they had to be a tradie they had to walk the talk they had to know the industry they had to lead by example etc and so of course uh, Sean applies for the role and i look at his background you're obviously not a tradesperson Sean so i i sent him the old uh thanks but no thanks but um uh Sean was uh dogged in uh in uh expressing his, uh, appetite for the opportunity, uh, not only to me, but also, uh, he sent Mark, a, a message via LinkedIn. And anyway, when I, um, uh, agreed to meet with Sean, I knew that Mark, uh, in the back of his mind was also doing some work in terms of developing some, um, uh, software as a system. And, and I said to Mark, hmm, you know, uh, Sean's not a tradesperson, but, uh, he uh, he can bring something to this role, which could be uh, pretty exciting. And, and uh, suffice to say, uh, you know, um, Sean, you were successful in getting the role. And I, I use that as an example, you know, when I'm talking to candidates, if you're getting these thanks, but no thanks from um, recruiters, that's not the end of the conversation. Uh, and and Sean, uh, you know, I, I, I have told you before, I'll tell you again, I really take my hat off to the fact that you were tenacious and, uh, and were able to... Um, you know, be very convincing about your capability and 18 months later, you know, the feedback from Fallon uh, about your performance in the role has been superb. Um, what was it about Fallon that attracted you though? Because I mean, as you say, you'd work for What If, you'd work for Amazon, you'd sold your business to Equifax. You know, here's this... Um, not small but uh, but you know a, a trade services um, company in Brisbane what was it that you saw in them and you went wow that looks like an awesome opportunity for me
1: yeah I remember when the when I was looking for my next opportunity and the the search for this role had started in the market um, Fallon wasn't identified as being the target for um, Employer. It was just a sort of open-ended search with a somewhat vague description of the business. Um, But I remember it being obvious to me that it must be Fallon. And and I knew that um, because I'd been a customer of Fallon. And um, there's a certain um, experience that Fallon provides to its customers that um, it stands out a little bit. there's, There's some remarkable aspects of what Fallon does. And so... I was interested um, long before the search started about them through being a customer, and I could see through being a customer that they'd done many things really well, and I could also see that there were many areas of innovation that were still left um, on the table, and I I thought, well, what what transferable skill set, you know, do I have? And, uh, you know, I, I believe skill sets are deeply transferable. I mean, you'll remember, Richard, I, I knew I, I had no history in the internet other than being a copyright lawyer and ended up in business development at Amazon. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a big leap for in my mind to say if if fast-moving consumer services with high brand presence, um, service-driven culture, um, scale, um, efficiency, if all of these things were what drove um, Fallon's competitive advantage, I thought that I had a story to tell. And so you're right, I was rejected from the process not a, a few times actually, not once but several times I, I didn't make the short list and then I, uh, I failed at several hurdles. But the point I think for me was that I was never confident that the reason I was failing for the role was a fully considered reason. I, I think I was passing through filters that hadn't been fully considered. And so my plea to, to the owners and to yourself was, I'm very happy to miss out on this role, very happy, but only if the reasons I miss out are fully considered. And that was the opportunity the board and you ended up giving and And um, I think it's been a correct um, a correct fit for, for for what I'm trying to to do to help um, grow and transform um, the business.
0: Mm. Oh, look, Sean, uh, uh, I I couldn't agree more. And, uh, but uh, now 18 months in the role, when you look back on, well, what was the mandate? You know, when they said, Sean, welcome to Fallon's. This is what we want you to bring to the business. Um, what were you mandated to achieve
1: for them? Well right from the beginning um, I was like literally from the first day I was given a mandate to bring a technology team inside the business. Uh, so that that's a really important strategic moment where every business um, has a technology strategy and the choice for businesses is whether they will, Uh, do it themselves and take control of their own strategy or whether they will effectively outsource, you know, rely on contractors, rely on partners, rely on vendors. Um, Now, Fallon's board um, made a strategic bold bet and they said, Sean, we've seen, you know, long before meeting you, long before meeting you, the potential to do something um, bigger and bolder not only for the Fallon business, which will involve exciting technology, but potentially that technology could be of real interest to the broader market. So we want you to firstly embed a technology team to bring that strategy to life as something that we own and we control. Uh, So my first mandate, Richard, was to to bring talent in that could deliver on a digital transformation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And look, look, first and foremost that was the key prize that I had to get right um, from the beginning.
0: And uh, so obviously that was playing to, you know, a lot of your core strengths and experiences um, in terms of, I mean, you went you mentioned earlier, I mean, the COO capacity. So it's covering marketing and HR and training and leading and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, Noting that when they originally went to the market to think about the person and really needed that, um, or, or believed that they really needed that trade-qualified experience, yeah, you know, what has been some of the ways that you've managed your role to compensate and and actually bring other elements to that side of the the business, that side of your role, when obviously you weren't a tradesperson, you know, when you were employed
1: yeah yeah um that is look so the other part of the mandate of course um was very clear it was to get to know the business you know to to authentically take the time to really get to know the business and the industry and the levers and the model and to really correctly understand the flywheel that drives this business
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um and that does take um time and study and takes a lot of hard work you know because the the sorts of data in the business are different. The, the, the nature of the people are different to ones that you've worked with before. The backgrounds that they have are different. Um, th- their own career paths are different to many of the, um, you know, associates that you've had before. So there's a lot to learn. Uh, th- the approach that, that I, I take is, um, is I'm very collaborative, um, Richard, and, you know, I, I, I do listen to people and take an interest in people, Uh, right through the organisation at an individual level as much as I can, you know. I I enjoy listening to and learning from as many people in the business as I can. And and that's a really strong way to learn about a business is to try and soak up the experiences of as many people in the business as you can. Um, So a lot of learning by listening, quite a lot of management by walking around. Um, You know, I, I am... A bit nomadic in where I spend my time mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not known to be easily found at my desk <laughs> um, and it, it all just helps me learn what's actually going on um, through collaborating with others you know I would say that's been my main approach the, the other thing Richard is that I, I did um, in that period of starting up Zip ID, I did complete an MBA mm-hmm. and um The the MBA MBA does help you learn about businesses. It it gives you some tools to help you sort of understand different businesses. So Mm -hmm. those tools were also helpful to me. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I I, I have an MBA myself and uh, I highly value the fact that I did an MBA it's certainly not the ticket to the game. You know, um, I think if you expect having done an MBA, automatically your career is going to shoot into the stratosphere. Uh, You might be a little bit sadly mistaken, but coupled with solid practical experience and a genuine desire and appetite to learn, in fact, probably if anything, the MBA teaches you how to learn, right? Um, And so, Sean, you, you said... You know, it takes time to learn a business, to learn the correct levers, to really mesh yourself in the culture and so on. So, Harry, how long do you think it took you before you went, okay, I've got a handle on this now?
1: Oh, look, it, it's, it's ongoing, Richard. But I think um, you can make credible, credible calls in complex and conflicted areas Um you know, within twelve months, but mm-hmm. probably, you know, the, the test is when those when they're difficult calls and they're conflicted and, and um, you know, your gut's not enough. You need to also have some depth of analysis and um, a little bit of um, acquired experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think probably takes about twelve months.
0: Mm-hmm. And was there, uh, you know, was there was there a, a sort of a moment? almost like a graduation moment in your own mind uh, where you went, okay, that was the first 12 months. I'm here now. This is looking forward. Or do you think it's just something that's kind of incrementally um, you've just eased into it? uh, I'm not sure if I'm actually articulating this correctly. Did, did Did you find that you got to this point at 12 months or whenever it was and you, you, had a, you know, a clear consideration that, okay, I've got this now, or is it more been just slowly evolving over
1: time? Look, it's slowly evolving over time, um, but I think, you know, the evidence that you're starting to get it is where you can really begin to focus in on a finite number of, you know, real um, – Critical objectives for the business, or a finite number of key success factors that you can almost start to distill on one hand of mm-hmm. w- what actually drives this machine, and where where are the most critical levers to pull? Because um, mm-hmm. you can be very busy as 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 a COO, and you can be you can be spinning plates and pulling levers left, right, and center. Uh, impact, though, I think comes from when you can correctly pick your bit, pick your battles. -hmm. And and that that would be my point, is that when you think you can you can distill a finite number of things that are where the real impact lies, I think that's evidence that you're getting closer to a depth of understanding.
0: And I think also, Sean, it would be fair to say that you know, Mark is somebody uh, who has been so intimately in the business, you know, he's fulfilled every role. Um, he is a, a guy that, uh, you know, has a very strong sense of the business. Um, it must be interesting to come in and, and start to build that rapport and that relationship and that level of trust, you know, to enable him to achieve what he was hoping to from the outset, which is to step back and, and work more on the business, um, rather than in the business, you know, how, how would you describe how that relationship has unfolded?
1: Yeah, look, one of the other reasons why Fallon was of interest to me is that um, the owners are really ambitious, you, you know, and, and so it's just important to understand that the owners of Fallon aren't really primarily driven by lifestyle or, you know, Mark's not, the guy who's trying to lower his golfing handicap will get a bigger boat. He's really interested in what um, a category leading business could become. And he's got a, I guess, an unsatiated appetite for growth and ambition. So Richard, my relationship with Mark is is not so much about, in my mind, I'll just give you my my version of it. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's so much about Mark stepping back as it is about Mark elevating Uh, Um, For sure. Yeah, elevating where he might see the real kind of entrepreneurial endgame and dividend, you know, at an Mm. entrepreneurial level.
0: Yeah. And
1: so I think I I bring that opportunity as a professional manager, not not as an owner but as a professional manager, um, to really complement Mark's um, and and his board's entrepreneurial ambition with some of the... um, you know, some of the disciplines of professional management. And it's, it's, I think it's a really strong combination.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I, I agree completely. I suppose as far as saying he wants to work more on the business rather than step out of the business. And then of course, Natalie, there, uh, uh, strikes me as well. She's the steady hands. She's the she's a, the person who's making sure, um, that, uh, the resources are available. And so it, they're a formidable team, um, uh, and I, I respect what they've done with their business and obviously what you're now doing with the business so much. Now, you know, 18 months in, looking towards the future, um, obviously, you know, Fallons is continuing to grow into new geographies and new service offerings and, you know, there's a lot happening. What What are you excited about in terms of the future? Look,
1: I think there's, there's still um, a lot we can do with... Delivering um, service at a level that customers have just never seen from a trade services company before. Uh, you know, we 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 are not following other people. We are we are leading, and we we do sort of beat ourselves up a bit about how much um, better customer service we ought to be providing, and and really some of the proactive value adds for people that own properties in, in, in Queensland, we, we're, we're pretty restless about where we can add more value. You know, the, the, the industry um, has some norms associated with it that we're really trying to, to defy. You know, it's hard to get tradesmen to show up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to get any reliable, you know, time commitment when they start a job. It's hard to get them to finish a job. Um, it's hard to get them to be upfront and transparent about pricing. Often they'll just sort of put you in a, in a you know, like put you in a taxi with the meter running with their fees. Um, it's hard to get them to come back if there's any defects in any of the work that they've done. There's a lot to be desired in the, in the cliche of what trade services is. Mm-hmm. So where we're, we're restless, Richard, is to turn that on its head and be a service provider that is actually a partner of choice mm-hmm. to our customers. So we think that's a pretty exciting goal and, and we, we're we on that quest daily. Um, we also know within our business that we've got um, just a lot of boring um, system friction. You know, we, we re-key data a lot, you know, between um, creating new customers in our contact centre through to raising invoices through to you know, the way our CRM works. Um, we, um, we've we got a lot of manual reporting. We've still got a lot of spreadsheets that float around inside the business. It's all sort of busy work rather than value creation work. Um, and, you know, at a, at a at a business level, that sort of friction and burden, it, it does tend to hold back your um, potential from a net profitability point of view. And um, we like to push towards our potential because with that Growth in net profitability, we can continue to reinvest in innovation and, and, and transformation. You know, we can we can fund a really exciting future um, by just improving our business, and we think that future will probably involve our technology emerging as a crown jewel asset, mm-hmm. and and that crown jewel asset um, will either enable us to um, really accelerate our um, our Penetration or potentially acquisition pathways, or that that technology asset could itself be a a business we could monetize. You know, there's um, there's um, plenty of scope for not only eating our own dog food with our technology, but providing it to other businesses as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, and this, these things are, are well beyond talk, Richard. We're we're really walking this walk now at an increasingly rapid rate.
0: Mm-hmm. I've not heard that expression, eating your own dog food. That doesn't sound like a very palatable thing, regardless of the situation. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so now, 18 months in, you go, okay, I will work for What If, I worked for Amazon. What, what, What's different about, you know, Fallon, that, you know, um, when you compare the sort of the missions and the cultures and, and, uh, uh, and so on between working in these very large, you know, essentially cutting-edge businesses and, and now working in Fallon, which is, in its own way, you know, leading, as you say, it's a category leader, but leading the way in terms of this, uh, these new um, uh, SaaS initiatives and so on. What's exciting you to keep you there? Well, um, I think
1: um, being defined by something really quite special um, within a brand and within a customer audience. If, if you can arrive as a leader of a business that that is really considered quite special in its mm-hmm. category, that it's, it's, it's actually um, an enviable position from a brand, a customer, um, loyalty, a stickiness. You know, for me, if I can be associated with, those things exist at Fallon, but if I can take them to another level, mm-hmm. Richard,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Um, that we're not just good at lead generation, but we're really good at being remarkable and 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 creating that recurring loyalty amongst our audience, that's what every business wants, right, a loyal recurring customer base. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, uh, through the innovation um, that we're pushing through, Fallon, the innovation I think will get us there mm-hmm that will lead to a story where we've got more to reinvest in the business through a, 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 a better net profit margin. We're going to have a better story amongst our customers by being just more remarkable in the value that we give them. And that, um, you know, what a fun journey. If, if that proves to be real, um, the second horizon then of how to take those innovations and and actually offer a, an IP-led business. I mean, remember, my whole career starts with intellectual property.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What better outcome than to take this journey I'm currently on and pivot it to an IP-led business again?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, we currently have uh, uh, four full-stack developers in our team and one cloud data engineer. I mean, we're, we're on the surface a trade services business, We've got full-stack software developers that are as good at the front end as they are the back end. At any software developers, um, you know, these guys could work in the valley if, if, if approached and may do in their next jobs.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: a cloud data um, engineer that's actually, we're now running management decisions through a data lake, Richard, um, mm-hmm. with all sorts of fascinating interfaces to interrogate our performance. Mm-hmm. With, when you look at how we are starting to manage our business, we're starting to feel a bit like those digital or technology-led businesses that I've worked in before, and 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 that's really interesting to me to be mm. really new new school in an old school industry.
0: Uh, and Sean, the your enthusiasm is palpable. You know, you're obviously, um, you know, you've found a, a fantastic home, uh, and I think it's uh, it's really exciting and it's a tremendous. Um, Uh, commendation to you know Mark and Natalie to have the foresight to employ you uh, and also you know for what you've been able to achieve there just before we wrap this up because I know that uh, you're a busy man you've got lots to do so what's Sean like to do when he's not working what keeps your uh, petrol tank full and you know you you uh, able to maintain the energy that this job um, requires
1: I like, I like sport a lot, Richard. I love, I love kids sport. I I kind of get a bit of a buzz out of, um, you know, the little achievements that happen on Friday nights or Saturdays at kids sport. That's, it's kind of fun. Um, so that, that energizes me. I like playing sport myself. I, I still play, um, uh, routine, um, pretty high quality tennis.
0: Um,
1: and I surf quite a lot with my friends. So, um, you know, I'm not so, much of a, not so much into the parties and drinking. I'm kind of a bit more interested in, in sports as being my um, uh, kind of energy source.
0: I thought you liked to manage rock bands. Well, COVID, <laughs> COVID crueled all of that. Well, um,
1: I, I, I do really look forward to getting out and seeing some bands again. I mean, there's, there's no, you know, nothing races my heart like seeing a live band. Um, that's the best. That it feels like a long time, Richard, since we were able to do that.
0: Well, well, two things, Sean. So, firstly, I've started a meetup group. It's called. I may be older, but I still love to go to gigs. And within three days of launching it, we're now at over 200 uh, people in Brisbane who are participating in that. So I'll send you a link. You can come to some shows with us and vice versa. The second thing is uh, I'm launching a not-for-profit record label at the moment. There's some big, big people involved. I'd love to have a chat to you about that uh, when we have some time. But look, Sean, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat to us today on the podcast. It's a great story. and it sounds like there's lots of exciting things to come. So uh, I look forward to seeing how it all unfolds. And in the meantime, have a fantastic afternoon.
1: Thanks. Good to chat, Richard.
0: Great. Right. Thank you for listening to the Arate podcast with Richard Tricks. If you'd like to accelerate your executive career journey, Richard invites you to join his CEO incubator community on LinkedIn. Just search for CEO Incubator in LinkedIn groups and click on the Ask to Join button to apply. We'll see you in the community. The Arate Podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air Podcast Network.